The following program does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff or management of WFMD. And things that are said on today's panel might not even reflect the views of everybody who's on the panel today. This is the Faith Debate on News Radio 930 WFMD. On your AM at AM 930 every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. That's kind of confusing, right? We're at 9.30 a.m. at 9 a.m. That's almost confusing. It's a tongue twister, perhaps. Anyway, we're on the FM at 99.9 HD2, and we're on the World Wide Web at WFMD.com. And uh, we do have this show available as a podcast as well. You can access that through the radio station's website. You can also access it through uh, all of my social media and my church's website. That website is householdoffaithinchrist.com, householdoffaithinchrist.com. On the panel again this week, from uh, last week and last several weeks, Steve Yerger. He is with the Shabbat Gathering in southern Pennsylvania. And uh, Daniel Rasby wasn't here the last few weeks, but he's been here for uh, quite a number of shows over the last year or so. He's with a church, the house church that meets in Thurmont and also part of the uh, Conquered by Love Ministries um, organization. And they have a website, conqueredbylove.org. So... I'm not exactly sure the first time that this issue was mentioned, if it was on the air or off the air, but it's come up a few times, either on the air or off the air, as we've done faith debate shows, um, the, the Razvies and, and me now, and, and typically David Forsey, doing the show together for, I don't know, 14, 15 months, something like that. And a handful of times, the question about Bible translation and those sorts of things has come up as an aside as a as a comment either in the show or in between shows and I thought you know we need to talk about that and so i think today is a day we will at least begin to talk about that we'll see if we finish the discussion just in one show to try to encapsulate the question as simply as possible are the newer english translations of the bible worse better than as good as the good old standby King James version from the 1600s. Uh, And when I texted a a version of that question to Daniel, his response was a very cheeky, yes. (laughs) Because it depends on which translation. So, And I think that that does require some clarification. So who wants to to clarify why the answer could be yes, that it's better than, worse than, the same as? So I'll preface it by saying, well, I am not and we can define the term KJV only. There's that might be actually be uh, helpful, I think, for the audience. I'm not KJV only. KJV, by the way, is the shorthand for King James version. Right. However, I do believe, and my my personal belief is that the King James version is currently the most accurate, easily obtainable version of the English translation for the average person. Meaning, there are there may be some more, more accurate in certain ways that you can get. But it requires a lot of work and a lot of digging in there. It's hard to find, not, not published as much, and things like that. So any of the very common English translations that you could just buy off the shelf, the King James is going to be by far the most accurate, in my opinion. We'll um, have a good show, because I, I disagree. Great. <laughs> so we'll have, we'll have some good fodder there. So why, well, so if, if, it's, if it's better, you know, you're saying it's better, so why did you say yes when, you know... So that was because I think there are certain translations that are uh, that do some things the King James did not do. For example, the King James, while it does use the Texas Receptus, the uh, received text, um, which is, uh, I believe, has less errors and things like that than what the majority of the modern translations use, um, it also uses the Masoretic text for the Old Testament, and that is not, I think, 
what the apostles were quoting. The apostles were quoting the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, and there are a couple places where that differs. And there's very few translations into English of the Greek Old Testament. Most of them are translations of the Hebrew Old Testament. And the Hebrew Old Testament that we have now is not quite the same as it was prior to Jesus. Um, it, it, it's almost, and, and I have, let me pause for a second, tell the listeners, the differences we're talking about in these Bible translations are so minute that they're barely even worth mentioning. But the fact that so many translations exist makes people wonder, okay, is some better than others? So we, I do want to mention them, but they are so minute. Now, there are verses missing in some versions, so it's not like they're entirely the same. But on a percentage level, 99% plus of all of these translations agree with each other on every on those things. And for that reason, it's one of those one, – that's one of the reasons why it's so reliable. The Scripture itself is so reliable because if it was just – uh, a group of clerks trying to make sure they had kept an iron fist on everything. They would have made everything identical and they would have thrown out all the other ones and burned all the other ones that weren't quite the same so that there was, you know, um, a homogenous text that you could have for, for for time. So just the fact that that wasn't done shows how dedicated people have been to try to preserve the Word of God there. And one of the things that you threw out, just uh, I'm not, you, you might have explained what it was, but in case it went by fast and or in case you didn't uh, explain what it was, Septuagint, that's a Fun word to say, Septuagint. Yes. Uh, that's the uh, ancient Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. Correct. And, and, and uh, yes, it, it's, it's very clear to anybody who's paying any attention that uh, there are New Testament uh, writers who are quoting from the Septuagint. I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't go so far as to say they're exclusive. I think there are also examples of them quoting from the Hebrew text as well. I haven't but, found one. I've looked but through there, as many as There's definitely examples where they're quoting the Septuagint's version of uh, of the text. Obviously, they're not quoting in the New Testament, which is written in Greek. They're not quoting the Hebrew in Hebrew, uh, but the construction of, of some of the verses in the New Testament Greek follows the the Hebrew text. Uh, the, rather the, 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 the Greek text, you mean? Follows the Greek text. No, say so when they're quoting the Septuagint, then it's it's basically just a quote from the Septuagint. But there are times when, even though you're reading the, the New Testament in Greek, you can tell by the construction it doesn't match what's in the uh, Septuagint, but it does match what a Greek translation, uh, uh, an, uh, an additional way of translating the Hebrew would be. So that's why I'm saying that I think that the, the uh, New Testament writers are quoting from both, which I think is interesting to, and to this discussion because we can get hung up on, you know, which translation. And like you said, it's like it's I don't know what the exact percentage is, but it's, it's probably approaching 99 percent agreement. Is it OK to have slight differences well, yeah, the New Testament authors, you know, led by the Holy Spirit, were quoting uh, the Hebrew and the Greek, as, and even though there were some variants between the two texts, uh, and, and that was fine. If it's good enough for the apostles, it's going to be good enough for me. <laughs> so uh, I think that helps us to take, to, to take the edge off of this a little bit. And I do want to talk about the, uh, the KJV-only controversy stuff, you know, the King James-only uh, stuff. That people are very strident about that. But I want to get uh, Stephen into the uh, discussion before well, we get into that. I asked the KGV-only folks, uh, am I in sin if I read another version? Or am I going to go to hell if I'm reading another version? And uh, it's interesting to note that the culture and when the language was preserved was the common language of the day. So we have, for example, when Jesus was on the cross and uh, there's an inscription that is written and it says, Jesus, Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And it says, therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew 
Latin, and in Greek. So we have a cool little, little foreshadowing here of the preservation of the Word of God through a people group, the Jews, Hebrew. And then we have the Latin, which was probably the common language of the day in the first century in Israel, uh, being Rome being occupying Israel. And then, of course, you have the Greek. So there's something to be said about if you're going to have a uh, particular version or a particular translation, it would be nice to be able to have it in the hands where somebody will actually read it. King James is a little archaic on the language. Uh, some of the words that are used in King James, we today, if you give it to the average person, they wouldn't even be able to relate to some of it. And so there's a, uh, I think there's room to be able to see, and I've paralleled the King, KJV, NASB, ESV, some of the other English versions, and like we've said, they're very, very close. Um, so it's interesting to take note that uh, do we divide over this, or what's the message? What are we trying to get the message across? Well, to your opening question, um, you know, are you in sin? There are some would say yes. They they exist. Some of them have in, you know relatively sizable you know online presence, uh, and therefore an, uh, an outsized uh, impact based on the size of their congregations. They might be leading a church that only has a hundred or two hundred people in it, but they have an influence on the internet that uh, affects a lot of people. I visited a church not too long ago, and. Uh, was there for their Sunday school and for their worship service. And I went and visited them because they're a house church, and I'm trying to identify other house churches that we could maybe do some partnership with, work together on some things, you know, be in fellowship together as churches. And But I'm not going to do that willy-nilly. I want to go visit a, a church at least once and get a sense of what they're all about and see if it's a fit both ways. You know, I might not be a fit for them. They might not be a fit for, for me, whatever. And in the Sunday school, some things that were said uh, were rather strident about the King James in, in uh, you know, as, as opposed to other translations in support of the King James, which caught my attention. I was like, huh, I wonder if these guys are like strict KJV only type people. And then in the sermon, the pastor, he went on this uh, rabbit trail that lasted, I don't know how many minutes, five, 10 minutes, that was basically just a defense of the King James text as opposed to like preaching what the meaning of the text was or, or amplifying the gospel or whatever. And he went on this little rabbit trail about the text. So I was like, okay, that definitely caught my attention too. They must be staunchly KJV. So I went and talked to one of the elders uh, afterwards and said, uh, you know, because I had talked to him before, he knew I was coming. And I said, hey, I'm glad you had me here. You know, but I couldn't help but notice in the Sunday school and in the sermon, there was a lot of emphasis on the KJV. And there are a couple of things said basically that the other texts are all but heretical. So, like, when I preach, I'm not preaching just from the King James Version. Is that going to be a problem for us? And the answer I got, well, it doesn't need to be. You might not just be up to speed on what all the issues are. Basically, that's saying, yes, it's going to be an issue unless, you know. Unless we can convince you. Yeah, unless you come around. And first of all, it's a little bit arrogant. Now, I'm not saying I know everything there is to know about this stuff. But I think I know enough to know what some of the big issues are. And I'm not, and, you know, it's not the main thrust of my ministry. So it's not what I pay most of my attention on. But there are some times when, 
anybody who comes to my church and listens to my sermons, they'll they'll notice uh, pretty quickly within within a few months they're going to notice. Oh, seems like you're preaching from a whole bunch of different versions of the Bible, and that's self consciously. I'm doing it on purpose. Now, I won't I won't preach from a bad translation. We can talk about that in just a minute. Uh, but I'm purposely preaching from other versions because I don't want us to become idolaters of a particular uh, translation. So sometimes I preach from the King James, sometimes I preach from the NIV, sometimes I preach from the uh, the NASB, sometimes the ESV, sometimes the NET, which is a new online-only translate. You know, it's only available online, and it's actually pretty solid, actually. If you're not familiar, I would encourage anybody to check it out. One of the cool ver- uh, aspects to that translation is they have way more footnotes than like any other translation I know of, which is can be interesting and sometimes helpful. So things like that I'll preach from. And sometimes I find, like you said, I'm comparing different translations. And one of the things I try to do when I'm preparing a sermon is to interact with the original language. And then I try to figure out what the original language is actually saying. And then oftentimes I'm preaching from the English version that captures that the best. But on occasion, I'll purposely pick a version that doesn't capture it the best and use that as a teaching opportunity to say, the NIV here says this, to be honest, this is an example where the NASB or the King James order actually gets it better because the original Greek is saying this. Not to undercut their confidence in the Bible, but to help them to understand that these things can be known. We Translators can, are human. They're fallible. Yeah, we can... We can so there are errors in any of these translations, but error is also... And, and there are errors in, for sure, but error is also a little harsh of a word, I think, for most of what we find. Because the fact of the matter is, and, and, and Americans have a harder time understanding this, I think, than people with, uh, in other countries. Because you've heard the joke, you know, what do you call a person who speaks three languages is trilingual. If you can speak two languages, you're bilingual. If you can speak only one language, you're American. American, right? <laughs> and and so Americans have this thing where we only speak English, and but if you understand other languages, then you start to realize that there is no such thing as a perfect translation of anything. You have to take liberties in order to translate into another language because there are things that just aren't found with context and idiom, and uh, I mean we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. You can't convert that into another language that doesn't have a similar idiom. Otherwise, it sounds weird, and so some translations will try to faithfully translate that, and the other people are going to have no idea what you're talking about that are listening to it, or you can try to change a little bit to, to get around, but there's there's a lot of things that it's just impossible to do a perfect translation. There are a few ways that it could be going, and particularly when there's entendres, when there's um, you know double meanings, and Jesus has a lot of wordplay when he talks in the scripture, and he says one thing and he means two at once, but you can't translate them both because they're only both present in Greek. You got to pick one. And or so in now that's, or Hebrew, um, whatever it is, they're only, both meanings are only there if you really know the language like a native. Or Aramaic, um, by the way. It could be Aramaic too. <laughs> so that's, that's where you have, a, have an issue where somebody says, well, you know, this is the only way to have it translated. And somebody else can say, well, this is also a really good translation of that verse. Well, yes, in fact, the verse says both things. So really what you want to be doing is reading it in the original tongue, but that's hard to do just by a word search or by a Strong's because that just gives you a dictionary definition that still doesn't give you context and grammar and idiom and all those things that you need to kind of be a native speaker to get. So then you've got to read a lot of commentaries. You've got to research a lot to try to figure out what it might mean. 
but I don't want people to get the impression that we're saying that you must know all these extra things in order to be able to read the Bible and get value out of it. Right. And, and Strong's is a helpful tool, but it's, it's a concordance. It's not the same as a lectionary. And mm-hmm. so, you know, um, you know, if you really want to try to understand what's going on, you should get something like it. I forget. Uh, Lexicon or some kind. Yeah, get like a BDAG is a good one. I forget. Uh, uh, I forget what all the, the B-D-A-G, I forget what all the different names that belong to those four letters are, but uh, that's a pretty good lectionary, and that'll give you a, a sense. If you don't really know the languages, you didn't go to seminary and you didn't learn Greek and you didn't learn Hebrew, and even those of us who have gone to Hebrew and Greek, we don't use it often enough to, uh, unless that's like our our main focus in our profession is to really be steeped in that stuff. They get a little bit rusty, and so there are a lot of online tools. I use a tool called Logos uh, that is really helpful. Um and sometimes the difference is when we say that there's, you know, there's like 90 plus, 95, 99% uh, agreement among the different translations, uh, that doesn't mean that there's 99% agreement on which English word is going to be best there. Uh, but, the, but the general gist of what they're trying to translate, they're 99% of the time, they're 100%. 99% of the time, they are in a full agreement about what they're trying to translate. They might use a slightly different English word to do it. But there's a couple of cases where the, the translations are different because they understood the language differently or because they had different texts they were working off of. Right. And, and then so, you get to all the arguments about which texts are better than other texts. Right. Is it the majority and text? Is it the earliest text? So Is, usually people that favor the King James Version are going to say that a lot of the other more modern English texts use a translation of Greek primarily by a couple guys named Westcott and Hort. And there's been many articles and books written to cast doubt on those men's faith, for example, and, and things like that. There's, and there, the fact of the matter is that the, that Greek text does have some problems with it and also that it is... Uh, particularly that it is different, at, at least, than the yeah, but that's not, the King James. And for, now we're going to get into the weeds a little bit. might lose some people. But one of those guys, I think, is, uh, uh, or maybe both of them were Anglican, right? And it was one particular translation that maybe had a lot of weight. But that's, when, when somebody's, when the NASB or the ESV is translated, they're not reliant on those guys. They're going, they're looking at, all of the ancient manuscripts, the original manuscripts themselves, like photographs of the original writings, not like a, um, uh, you know, not like somebody's transcription of it, like an actual documented evidence of the fragments and all that sort of stuff. That's what they're interacting with to make their translational decisions. So that mm-hmm. that's not that that would be a very faulty KJV only argument to be making. Well, think about the Masoretic text. Okay, think about that being done, people going to that. Pause for a second. Masoretic text is the Hebrew Old Testament, the modern version of the Hebrew Old Testament. Just to clarify. Thank you. Right, but but it's not the version of the text necessarily that existed uh, three or 4,000 years ago, right? Just to drive a point home that the people that were relying on that, and then when the King James came out, it probably threw a lot of controversy when the King James, because, you know, the King James also developed over time. You know, you had the Tyndale Bible, and then you went from the Tyndale to Wycliffe, or no, Wycliffe, and then to Geneva. Geneva, and then you, you marched yourself down until where the authorized version, and people get their, their security and what they feel is what they really like, and then somebody else comes along and maybe feel a little threatened or feel like, wait a minute, I've put all my stock lock barrel in, in this particular version. So, you know, I mean, it's it's a kind of thing where what is, are we splitting hairs or do we want to be able to have 
a complete hat that you put on the head that will be able to do, which is the primary message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the whole formation of the kingdom of God, the whole plan from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 and, and how all that unfolds. And then I'm going to throw some, a stick in the mud where in, in 1 John 2, 27 says, and for the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. You have no one for anyone to teach you, but his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Now, somebody could take that scripture by itself and say, I don't need all this stuff. I don't need, you know, but throw that out in the conversation and see what you guys think. Well, if you take any uh, word or combination of words uh, out of context, you know, a, a word out of context is nothing but a pretext. You know, so you, seriously, it, it only any word only has meaning in context. Right. I use as an example when I was a, a, a young buck, you know, and back in the 80s, and you know, Michael Jackson was a big deal, and he had a popular song called I'm Bad. Well, before Michael Jackson comes along in his generation, bad was, you know, uh, ungood, right? <laughs> Something was bad, it was ungood. But when Michael Jackson comes along, all of a sudden, bad is cool, hip with it. Like, it's, it's good to be bad. So if somebody just throws, what's the meaning of bad? First thing we should ask is, what's the context? How's it being used? So it's the same with a, with a, connect, a combination of words in a verse. Mm-hmm. What are the verses surrounding that text? What is the what is the overall message of that epistle in that particular case with John, First uh, John, uh, or you know what, what? How does it fit within the the whole scope of canon? Like there's all the culture, like you said, all the idioms. Like right. what are how are the turns of phrases being used and that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, for me. One of the reasons that I've, I've settled on the King James, and also if it, and if you have a criticism that the King James is just too hard to understand because it's in old English, the new King James, it by and large, uses the same texts that the King James did, and it did. It, I haven't really found anything that it's that is different or missing from the new King James. It just other than the, the words are updated, most of them. Some lieutenant became satraps, and that's actually more difficult to understand, I think, for the, a modern person. But <laughs> besides that, mo- most of the things are, are easier. But besides the New King James, most of the other modern translations, the ESV, the NASB, the NIV, and all those, uh, and I'm not getting into the new, the new, new, woke, gender-neutral type stuff, but prior to, let's say, 10 years ago, all those other new English translations, what they had in common was most of them were missing some pretty key verses. Um, and so there's a famous verse, obviously, in First John, again, where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. That's usually either relegated to a footnote or is taken out entirely because there is some controversy about that verse, whether it would make sense to have it in there. That may be too much for this discussion, but there is, there's a couple other verses that really make absolutely no sense not being in, in the passage, um, and they're taken out. So, for example, in, in John's Gospel, there's... It says, you know, this, he comes up to this crippled man. The crippled man is sitting there waiting for the moving of water. And he, Jesus says, what, what's going on? He's like, I have nobody to get me into the water when it's moving. And Jesus says, okay, you're healed now. I'm, I'm really shortening it right now for this discussion. But that makes absolutely no sense. Why would he want to get into the water while it's moving? And you know, unless you have the other verse that's missing, which is in the King James and the New King James and a lot of those other original texts, it, which is, it says, well, for at a certain time, an angel goes and stirs the water, and whoever gets in after the angel stirs the water, he's the one that's healed um, automatically of anything. And, and 
okay, that makes more sense. Now what he's trying to rush in when he gets healed. Yeah, I think there's a lot more that probably needs to be said. So we'll, we're going to uh, do part two on this issue next week because there's so many things that probably should uh, be said to add some clarity. For example, you know, the presumption even, and this isn't meant as, as a criticism, but a, a critique of the words that you used. Uh, if somebody has a particular preference and uh, and another translation doesn't include a verse that your preference includes, so it's, oh, they left it out. Well, maybe the King James is the one that added it in. You know, so that's part of the discussion we have to figure out, too. But we don't have time to get into all that now. So we'll do that next week. And we'll end up. I'm a little bit concerned that we might have undercut people's trust in the, in, in the Bible. So I want to make sure that uh, we, we undergird your trust in the Scriptures uh, next week better than maybe we did this week. Uh, Daniel Rasby, uh, Stephen Yerger, I'm Troy Skinner. Thank you guys for being on the show. You can find us online at uh, WFMD.com, of course, HouseholdOfFaithInChrist.com, and you can follow the uh, the ministry that the Rasbys are involved with at ConqueredByLove.org. Till next week, 167 and a half hours from just about now, God bless. Past editions of this program are available in the audio vault at WFMD.com, a service of Holtzapel Heating and Air Conditioning.